Welcome to another of the uh, 10 Minute Cook Street podcast that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing since forever at this point, it feels like. And today I'm glad to talk with um, multiple award winning author of uh, well, adult and young adult fiction, if there's any difference anymore. Um, and oh, I want to ask you about this also. Sam Miller is also this year's judge of the Newcomb Awards. Yes, I that, am. That's impressive. That's a lot of responsibility for one person. It's terrifying. I regret agreeing to it, but I'm excited about it. Just tell us briefly what the Newcomb Award is. The Newcomb Award is um, uh, sponsored by the Newcomb Institute for Computational Science at Dartmouth College. Um, and it's a very it's a relatively young award. It, it was first given in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know, there's a panel of folks who work in com- computational science who pull together a short list that I have the unenviable task of picking a winner <laughs> from. Um, and of course, this year, as for most of the past several years, there's a ton of great stuff um, that's been published. So it's uh, it's an awesome and terrifying responsibility that I am, um, you know, well, I've, excited. I've, I've, I've looked at the short list. Yeah. And there are about there are at least four or five books on it that I know that I think should get the award. So you realize <laughs> you can't you, you can't win. You're going to get right. slammed. Exactly. Exactly. There's no way to pick a winner that doesn't leave a ton of brilliant writers who wrote amazing books and might be friends of mine uh, out. Right. So uh, so, no, it's tough. It's tough. But it's, it's also it's it's you know, I think that having been, you know, relatively short period of, of being able to publish in pro markets and, and, and sell, sell novels. Um, awards like this make such a difference for writers who are at the relatively early stages of their career. Um, and so it's great to be able to participate in something that shines a light on, um, on some books, some of whom are, you know, especially the fact that there's a debut category, we can uh-huh. shine a light on some, some books that, uh, you know, maybe these authors, uh, haven't had the exposure of some other ones. And so it's great to participate in that. It's, it's, um, I always like, you know, getting an award nomination is always amazing, even if I don't win it. So yeah. it's it's a cool thing to be part of. Well, I'm sure that's determining, I guess, a lot of what you're reading right now. But uh, the, one of the things we always want to ask on these things is what, um, well, what do you read during this period and what are you going to recommend? And now if you recommend one of the Newcom finalists and not the others, you're going to get in trouble. I know I've I've been <laughs> grappling with this question for the past 45 minutes, um, but but yes. Yeah, so obviously that is taking up a huge chunk of my reading time, and I won't play favorites or say who I've been loving and who I've been hating from that mm-hmm. list. Um, but th- it's been some phenomenal stuff that d- makes me no uh, no more confident in my ability to pick a pick the best one. Um, but aside from the the shortlist, which everyone mm-hmm. should go out and buy all those books right. and read all, all those books. Um, you know, I've for years put off reading Gravity's Rainbow, and by put off, I mean attempted and failed. Um, so, uh, you know, Ulysses is one of my favorite books. I don't have a problem with the sort of big, dense, difficult texts of uh-huh. the, the sort of like Anglo 
male literary canon. Um, but this this one has been a challenge. And so I'm about I'm about 450 pages into um, Gravity's Rainbow, and I'm not entirely sure I know anything about it or whether I'll be able to finish it. Um, <laughs> and there are so many moments where I can ju- I can just tell that the writer is having a lot of fun. Um, and that's kind of what's keeping me going, even if like I don't know what is funny um, or the, the funny sentences don't add up to more than that. But there's there's a lot of humor to it. And it's it's a challenging read that has been a um, a good quarantine project. It um, is, and it's, it, it's probably more fun than 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 Proust, which a couple of people are trying. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like the fact that this one at least has, you know, clairvoyance and um you know a fair amount of speculative fiction elements keeps it keeps it at least um keeps the pistons in my brain firing of like oh that's interesting since this brilliant concept was only introduced for half a sentence and then never visited again i think it's probably fair game for me to, uh, to do something with um but uh, yeah, so it's right up there with my sourdough starter. Um, I had <laughs> always thought about uh, making. Was, I think sourdough. Rainbow was was nominated for uh, a, a Nebula or a Hugo, I believe. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's firmly in our turf, even if it's probably not, you know, it's, 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 shelved shelved there in the bookstore. Right. Uh, but it, it it seemed to me that, and I've not reread it all the way through since I read it first, and I loved it then. But I kept thinking, this guy has read science fiction. He may not be part of it. He knows his way around. Yes, yes. And it's not the kind of thing that often happens when a non-science fiction writer writes science fiction, which is they do the things that have been done a thousand right. times. Exactly. Or they, they, they are engaging with or deconstructing cliches that the genre moved past 30 years ago. Um, this at least feels like it's fresh and exciting and um, just weird enough to keep me to keep me going through my bafflement. Any other uh, readings that you'd recommend? Well, you know, there's this there's this big thing happening today or this week, uh, this hashtag blackout bestseller list um, on Twitter. So I've been buying a bunch of books by black authors. Um, I am super excited about Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, which I pre-ordered. And one of my favorite authors is Aliyah Dawn Johnson. And she has a book coming out called Trouble the Saints, um, which I pre-ordered. And and she's actually in my writer's group. And I Uh I had read this book when it was still in when it was being workshopped and it's amazing. So I would super, super, super encourage anyone to pre-order Trouble the Saints uh, from Aliyah Dawn Johnson. Um, Excellent. That I, that I am super excited about. And I've also been um, trying to do more s- short fiction uh, and, and read more short fiction. So I just, just subscribed to Faya Lit Mag and Fireside, um, both of which have been publishing so much phenomenal uh, short fiction. So mm-hmm. uh, th- that's where my that's where my reading is at these days. One of the things I think it's encouraging about those uh, journals you mentioned and conjunctions is another one is that they all seem to have opened up uh, to genre to, to, to science to the science fiction, fantasy, horror, and that sort of thing. No longer are just automatically excluded from consideration by literary journals. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's it's an exciting moment, and I think it goes both ways. I think that the genre has um, really been a lot more embracing of the sort of MFA strain, and that there's been a real um, shot in the arm of the genre from the mm-hmm. from from authors that 
sort of come from what we might have traditionally thought of as the, the literary fiction community. Um, I think Carmen Maria Machado is a great example of that, um, sure. who's sort of just exploding the genre boundaries and saying like, you know, F you, there, like there's no, exactly. there's no, right. there's no line between these genres. These are, these are sort of like arbitrary borders we've made between our turf to feel better. Um, so, so that's been, I think that's, it's great to see it go both ways. Um, and so, you know, one of many things that has me uh, super excited about uh, this this moment in our in our genre and in in the the life of being a writer. Is there um, in or out of genre? Do you have comfort food uh, reading that you just return to, whether you're doing it right now or not? That you know, you fall back on when it's a stressful time and you just want a warm bath of a book. It's so funny that you say that because I, I, I've never, I haven't really, but one thing that I found in the last couple of years is I've actually been kind of constantly rereading William Gibson, um, mm. which, you know, I, I love him as a writer, but there is something like, like separately from, I don't know, there's something mechanically magnificent about it. Something about the way that he can construct a plot and write sentences and, and draw characters um, is really compelling. So it isn't so much like a warm bath as it is like a really nourishing meal that, yeah. that sort of energizes me for like a, a level of craft that, um, you know, I aspire to and don't always achieve um you know nk jemison is another one who sort of inhabits that space for me of like um doing so much and 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 holding the the quality level really high so right. that it is super super aspirational and sort of like it's sort of like my vitamins as a writer I think the, like this, the vitamins is a good way of putting it and i think one of the things that also has struck me about gibson over the years which should be very encouraging for a relatively young writer is that when you look at um uh, his later novels, his last three or four novels, and then go back and look at Neuromancer. He's writing so much better now than he was then. It's true. It's true. He really is. And but also, like I actually just reread Neuromancer last month, and I'm rereading Count Zero now. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting how much of how much of the goodness is there, like was there from day one, um, but yeah. also how much how much he's grown. And of course, it's always fa fascinating to revisit. Um, someone's vision of the future, like a real, like a true sort of yeah. master at imagining the future and sort of seeing how the future they're drawing, um, what it reveals about the moment they were writing in and how how dystopia has changed since then. That's a good so point. Like, yeah. <laughs> for, for example, the thing about Neuromancer that was like real, that is really eye opening and fascinating to me is there's this idea in it of technology and knowledge being very unevenly uh, developed so that there are, right. you know, these clinics in Chiba that have incredibly sophisticated technology that like Beverly Hills will lack, right? That the plastic surgeons of Beverly Hills will lack and that there's this whole trade in um, technology and technique and software and hardware. Right. And, 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 and I think that that that's interesting because I, I don't really know that that's come to pass. I think that the, the moment that we're in now is like technology is very evenly distributed. And, um, you know, I, I have no doubt that there are plenty of companies and corporations with who have developed proprietary, sophisticated um, um, technology. But the market is such an equalizing factor. And, you know, the companies that do that are just as happy to sell to like governments as uh, you know, as other companies. So right. uh, I, th I, th I think it's it's interesting the way that 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 hasn't played 
played out, not to any fault of, of the writing, just like, you know, that's the way things were then. And that's that's not necessarily the way things are now. You know, and, and that's something he's acknowledged also. I mean, people like to nitpick a neuromancer for not having cell phones in it, for example. <laughs> uh, and in fact, uh, but in, in, in fact, you, you're right. He was talking about the well, the famous line, the street has its uses of everything. Uh, the, the principles are basically solid, I think. The relationship of, of, of capitalism and technology and um, street-level punkism, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just didn't have the mix exactly right, but he had the right elements. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's 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 just reveals a lot about what the sensibility is of like, you know, when you're writing the future, what are you what are you saying about the, the present? And so as someone who's writing some 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 science fiction set in the, uh, you know, next 50 years, it's, it's yeah. interesting to think about um, what what uh, what are the not what did he get right and what did he get wrong? But how did he do it? And, exactly. And what about it? What about it? You know, it succeeds. Well, that brings us to our final question of these things, which is what I know you have a major novel coming out, but not until the end of the year. What else can we look forward to? And tell us about the novel. So my my uh, my novel, The Blade Between, comes out in December. Uh, it's from Echo Press, who published Blackfish City, and it's a kind of a horror novel. Um, yeah, I yeah. don't know how I've sort of bounced around between genres so much, but, you know, I, I think that um, I got a lot of folks encouraging me to sort of stay in a genre and sort of pick a groove and get in it. Um, and, and that I had, since I had enjoyed some modest success with the science fiction in Blackfish City, um, but the book of my heart, the one that I felt I really needed to write was this weird gentrification ghost story um, mm. about my hometown of Hudson, New York, which um, when I was growing up there and for, for decades before had been this very standard post-industrial rust belt town that had seen better days and had fallen on really hard times, um, but has really been revived in the last 30 years um, by a huge influx of capital from New York City and a lot of um, wealthy people buying up property and opening mm -hmm. up stores. And um, so it's really been revitalized in a way that maps really well to things that, have play that are playing out in a lot of places around the country where once um, once uh, economically depressed places are coming back, and of course, when they come back, they don't come back for the people who live there. They come back for wealthier right. people moving in. Um, and so a lot of my friends in Hudson um, who grew up in this you know, area of town that is now super expensive are, are having to move out and can't afford to live there. And so this is sort of the book about my mixed, complicated feelings of 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 how things change and and whether it's possible to, to fight back. Uh, and of course, in this book, it is possible to fight back, except you might be manipulated by whale ghosts. Um, <laughs> because my town, even though it was 114 miles up the Hudson River, is act, was actually a whaling town. Um, really? Yeah, during the American Revolution, when Nantucket um, was vulnerable to uh, attack by the British Navy, um, the sort of center of whaling, you know, most of the big merchants and, and owners moved to Hudson where they could sort of have a safe space to dock their ships and base their operations. And so, you know, we have whales on all of our street signs and there was, there's um, just all these ways in which whales are incorporated into our DNA. And so um, uh, this is sort of the town with a secret 
um, and the secret is it has whale ghosts running the show, um, and how is the town with this secret threatened by gentrification? It sounds fascinating. It sounds like one of these things that, I mean, you mentioned upstate New York, declining towns. I immediately think of Joyce Carol Oates. Um, sure. And there's a sense of those towns being haunted. She was writing about the decline. She was writing about the sadness and the generations, each generation getting less than the one before. Uh, you're talking about a real haunting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff is, it's a, it's a real haunting, but it's a real haunting that's sort of rooted in, this thing I'm obsessed with and that plays out in Blackford City and a lot of other things of like, you know, this this real rage at the ways in which money runs the show and, you know, right. rich, pe- rich people can set the rules in ways that negatively impact um, uh, poor people. So it's sort of like, what if the uh, brute, awful mechanics of capitalism came up against the brute, awful mechanics of really pissed off, really smart monsters? Sounds like fun. Uh, you, <laughs> I hope you, so. well, actually, this would be your uh, well. Destroy all monsters was this. They, there was a different kind of monsters. That was mostly this one kid's problem, wasn't it? Sure, sure. So, so this is okay. A whole community sounds great, but we're over our ten minutes. I, I knew we would be, but it's great to talk to you. So again, it's great to is, talk to you. Again, this has been our um, ten minutes with Sam J. Miller. This is Gary Wolf, and. Join us for the next one of these podcasts. Thanks.